rubble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Ron. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Well, um, good evening. It's, it's a great joy to, um, to be with you at St. Saviour's. And I've had such a, such a terrific uh, day here, uh, speaking this morning and then the workshop in the afternoon. Uh, my name is Ron Bushegger. I'm a psychodynamic counselor and psychotherapist in private practice. Um, I also work with theological colleges and a few dioceses and other Christian institutions, uh, supporting them in areas of mental health and emotional wellness. Um, I live in Dorking, and my wife is the vicar of our local church, which is called St. Paul's. Um, and I very much enjoyed listening to the St. Saviour's podcast the last few weeks, looking at this important area of mental health. And today, as part of that series, we're focusing on depression. Depression is a major reality in our society. A 2015 NHS study found that 19% of adults reported that they had at some point been diagnosed with depression. And the report stated that this number is likely to rise. Prescriptions for antidepressants have doubled in the decade, from 2005 to 2015. And last year, over 60 million prescriptions for antidepressants were written in the, in the UK. So that's a kind of picture around us. Uh, and there will be our own personal stories related to depression. Many people here will struggle with depression currently. Or you may have known uh, the realities of depression previously. You may be part of that 19%. All of us will know family or friends who have struggled deeply with depression, and there will be a variety of feelings attached to this. Depression is one of those things that exists out there in our society and in newspaper articles and awareness campaigns. But at the same time, it hits home with all of us. In the message this morning, I'm going to spend the first few minutes defining and describing depression. After that, we'll look at how a Christian may experience depression in the midst of their faith and how the church can help. And in the final third of the sermon, we'll look at five things not to say to someone who is depressed. So, what is depression? Well, the MIND website offers this definition, and I think MIND is an excellent, a very useful resource for information on mental health. Uh, the website says this. You're right, Mike, you can't see, can you, when you're here? I can see why it's tricky to read the... Yeah, how about that? Um, I can kind of see, just at the corner. Um, the MIND website says this. Uh, depression is a low mood that lasts for a long time, and affects your everyday life. Depression is a low mood that lasts for a long time and affects your everyday life. 
The symptoms of depression are both medical and psychological. They include um, body things, medical things, like changes in sleep, fatigue, weight change, often physical aches and pains, as well as depressed mood, loss of concentration, low self-esteem, and increased thoughts about suicide. Depression can be a standalone disorder, and it usually is, but some can be depressed and also suffer from anxiety or psychotic thinking or other mental health issues. The causes of depression, um, they vary widely, but I'll just offer a few different categories. Um, firstly, there are body changes. Uh, a head injury can cause depression. Uh, changes in a mother during pregnancy and childbirth can lead to prenatal or postnatal depression. Also, loss of physical or mental ability can lead to depression. And then there are life changes, like overwhelming emotional circumstances, or stress or burnout, or significant loss. Very often with depression, the body changes happen alongside the life changes. So it's a kind of double whammy that then leads to depression. Childhood experiences can lead to depression. Any therapist will tell you that. And whereas there is no identified genes that relate to depression, children who grew up in a family with a depressed parent are more likely to experience depression themselves. And of course, there are other factors too. For instance, the seasons of the year uh, and the amount of sunlight that we receive. I used to live in Alaska, and the, the wintertime was, was brutal for all of us. Um, and many people experience seasonal affective disorder, SAD, SAD, which is another form of depression. So physical head injuries to an emotionally difficult uh, childhood experience to, to darkness in the wintertime, the causes for depression are extremely varied. And that's important because it means we can treat each story and diagnosis as unique and bespoke to the individual. And as we support people with, depre with depression, they may talk about a condition that comes and goes, or a lifetime of struggle, or one episode from several years ago. They may talk about how it all began with a car crash, or the loss of a loved one, or how it's always kind of been there in the background. And we can appreciate each story, um, not just a, a kind of blanket diagnosis, oh, you're depressed. What does it feel like for our friends, for our family, for our neighbors, our colleagues to struggle with depression? What do they say? How do they describe their experience? Well, some describe it as a feeling of distance and withdrawal. They know that there is a gap between themselves and the outside world. It feels like a prison that they can't escape from, as one writer on depression, Dorothy Rowe, describes. Some feel that they've, they've lost their drive, and it all feels a bit fuzzy and unclear. And they may say, I just don't feel myself. Some are aware that life feels an uphill struggle, constantly heavy, wading through treacle, and they, they wonder about giving up. Some get angry and frustrated, and this is especially true in what's called reactive depression, where someone is performing at a high level, and then the stress of their life effectively blows a fuse in their mind and body. They become depressed, and they think, I'm the one who overcomes challenges, 
People look to me to lead. This sort of thing, depression, weakness, that doesn't happen to people like me. I'm not supposed to feel this way. Now, notice that a lot of the feelings around depression are not necessarily about being sad. They're more about being withdrawn or having that sense of internal struggle that gets in the way of connecting with the outside world. Now, there's a huge amount more to say about depression, but let's uh, focus our attention on the Christian faith and depression. How do Christians describe their own experience of depression? What can the church do to help? Well, for many who are depressed, the Christian faith provides deep and steady support and care. It's a bit like Psalm 46, which we had read. You know, my life is unsteady. I don't know what's really happening, but God is my refuge and my strength. He's a very present help in trouble. The earth can move, the waters can roar, the mountains can shake, but God is my peace in the midst of this very confusing circumstance. And many who are depressed, they find support from the Psalms or from simple verses in the Bible or from encouraging sermons. I remember speaking to one Christian who said, when I was really depressed, I couldn't concentrate or study the Bible, um, but I would hold on to my Bible. It was important that she physically held on to it. And I'd listen to Christian songs, and that helped me through the darkest days. Similarly, the church, with its steady care, can carry someone who feels depressed. The fact that the group is gathering and they have hope, even if I'm not feeling it, and they can say they love me, even though I can't love myself right now, well, that gives me enough to keep pressing on. Faith really can be a help and source of strength, but it can also make depression seem worse. With depression, there is a withdrawal, a loss of closeness, and typically God will also feel distant. But, you know, God promises that he will never leave me or forsake me, but here I am feeling left and forsaken. I must be doing something wrong. And depression has these negative thought patterns. So, you know, I go to church and I try to read it or I try to read some devotional book or um, engage in some way, but the sermons are so complicated and I can't concentrate. Uh, I must be neglecting my spiritual growth. I'm a disappointment to God and myself. And with depression, there, there is tiredness and there are sleep disruptions. So I can't even get out of bed uh, to sit at the back of church. Um, I've had to take myself off all the rotors. I'm letting my community down. And uh, with Christians who are depressed, it can often be the case that not only are they judgmental and critical of themselves, but, but they perceive God as being judging and critical of them. And a Christian offering pastoral care may say, no, it's not like that. God loves you. You're, you're, you're the pearl of great price. And the depressed mind can hear this and think, how useless am I that I can't even accept this Christian support being offered to me? So you can see how the, the kind of personal withdrawal and condemnation that comes with depression, it affects thinking globally and external attempts to help can form part of the narrative of self-criticism. Um, and that, that isn't easy, that, that's, but that is the illness. Um, so what, 
what are some of the ways that the church can help for those struggling with depression? Well, the church can help practically by providing a wide range of support from pastoral care to small groups to friendships. And that support can be both for the person who is depressed and for the carers. Um, friends and family who care for those who are depressed, they also need our encouragement. They may feel tired or weary or powerless in their circumstances or frustrated through the experience. And those in pastoral roles in churches, um, it, perhaps it would be useful to know locally about the resources available uh, within, uh, around depression or other mental health issues so you can signpost to the right appropriate um, uh, place of support. Um, you might want to be prepared to have a talk with that person about seeing a GP. 30% um, of uh, trips to the GP are mental health related. There are plenty of practical ways a church can help, but what about the deeper cultural stuff? How can the way we relate in church uh, and in our church friendships help those with depression? Well, let me offer a few thoughts. Um, firstly, we can exercise honesty and vulnerability in our relationships. Uh, a few years ago, I led a depression course for a church in Twickenham. And we got together 30 or so individuals who were affected by depression. And in the feedback, we ask, you know, what did you like most about the course? Now, I put a lot of effort into the course and into the material, and I was hoping for something about the excellent teaching and the very useful uh, workbooks which were uh, given to them in shiny, glossy paper. Um, they didn't mention that at all. Um, overwhelmingly, what people said was that it was just so good to be in church and be able to be honest about this part of my life. I haven't felt I've been able to do that until now. It's been so helpful to simply share my struggle, this unique struggle, with others. But sometimes in church, we can avoid talking about the difficult th things which are really going on for us. And what can happen is that people who have an area of weakness, like a mental health issue, they can look around them and see all these glowing examples of saintliness, these kind of spiritual overcomers who are dynamic and confident in their life and faith. And they can feel more isolated and more like a failure. Now, I've been around church long enough to know that we really are just one group struggling to be the body of Christ. But when Christians are honest about their difficulties, it can break down all of the idealization around how great or dynamic this couple or that leader is. Another cultural thing we can do is that we can affirm different images of God that are found in the Bible. Um, I got to know a hospital chaplain once, and he said that one of the problems with working with Christian patients is that sometimes they have an idea that God is meant to help them to just overcome whatever problem they have. But they're in hospital, and they're not getting better. These patients have all sorts of scripture to support their image of this overcoming God. But God isn't helping them in the way they're expecting. And I said, well, what do you do to help those patients? And he said, well, I just give them a different image of God. The Bible offers many different pictures and images of God. But sometimes in our churches and small groups, we can present just one or a few of these pictures. 
God can be seen as someone who makes us more than conquerors and in whom, uh, in whom all things He gives me strength. And that's fine. But what if the image of God that helps me most right now is that He is my shepherd, or He is the God of all compassion, or He is a good and caring Father? Maybe that's the picture I need right now. It's useful to be able to validate all the images of God found in Christian orthodoxy so that those who struggle can find a way of understanding and accessing God at the point of their own experience then. We're going to spend uh, the last part of the message looking at five things not to say to someone who is depressed. Now, most of us won't say these things exactly, but we might make similar statements that infer these sorts of things. Um, I'd like to explore with, uh, with you why we might make these statements and, and why they're unhelpful. So the first statement, you have a demon. That's why you're not in your right mind. That's why you're depressed. Some of us here may associate mental health issues with the demonic, but the sorts of ways the Bible describes the behavior of people who have demons cast out of them, it just doesn't correlate to the behavior of people experiencing modern mental health issues. Um, I don't have time to get into the details of this, but organizations like the Christian Medical Fellowship have written on this issue, and, and I'd be happy to point you to good resources uh, after this message. What often happens is, uh, is that we see something that we don't understand, or something outside of what feels normal or should be normal, and we attribute that to the spiritual. But maybe what's happening is just something that we don't understand. Other than the fact that it doesn't add up against the Bible, there are two other problems with this kind of a statement. You have a demon, that's why you're depressed. Firstly, it's very disturbing for someone who's concerned about their mental health to be told that they have an evil presence influencing them. It's distressing. Secondly, if the problem is that the devil or an evil spirit is oppressing me, then I don't have to do anything to fix the problem in myself except to pray. I don't have to understand myself and how, uh, how this issue may have come about. I don't have to engage in therapy to take greater ownership of my thought patterns. I don't have to try to be more integrated in my life, accepting both the good and the bad. I don't have to do any of that because the problem is external. The bad thing came from outside myself. I'm merely a victim to it. So we need to be very careful when attributing spiritual language to mental health issues. Um, and some of you might disagree with a few of these uh, statements or, or, or my, my interpretation of these statements, and that's fine. But let's look at the next statement. You have been healed and restored by the renewing of your mind. You don't need to go back to your old thoughts. Depression and other mental health issues, they rarely just get better immediately, but rather someone has good days and bad days. If someone is receiving prayer and the experience helps the person feel better, well, that's good. If the prayer then pressures the person to claim God's healing for this day and forevermore, well, the person receiving the prayer may do that, but what if they have a bad day tomorrow or for the next few weeks? Then they feel even more sad, even more despondent. 
Proverbs 13.12 says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Someone who has promised healing or claims healing but never receives it, they fall into deeper despair. When we pray for people, we want to see a change in them. We want to know that our prayer is working, that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. But it can do damage, and sometimes it is more about our ego to force it or to claim a permanent change when praying for someone who's struggling. Usually, healing happens over time, and it's typically longer than we want it to take. Third statement, just believe in the truth. The truth will set you free. Is that what it says? Yeah, you have to believe in the truth. Um, people, with a, uh, people will have an external truth that they see and they acknowledge. They will also have a felt experience of how they have known the world around them, what, what is felt true for them as they've engaged with relationships around them. And it's usually the felt experience, what we've known to be true, that wins out in our actions and decision-making. So telling someone to just believe the truth doesn't really change behavior, and it will likely increase guilt. Safe relationships and trustworthy support over time, that can change someone's experience and allow them to think a new way. Jesus says that he is the way and the truth and the life. He not only says this, but he also lives out the way of truth and trustworthiness with perfect integrity. So it's not just about believing in your mind. It's about experiencing um, as you go about a trustworthy relationship. Uh, fourth statement. Don't be sad. Rejoice in the Lord. Um, don't be sad. Sometimes with depression, uh, people may just need to be sad. And you may just need to allow someone to be sad alongside of you. And you can be present to those feelings of sadness um, and other things going on in that person's life. You can acknowledge their sadness without yourself getting lost in it. Sometimes we can promote some emotions like joy and pleasantness as being more Christian than other feelings like sadness or frustration. Sometimes we believe that sad equals bad. But sad is part of life. And in the Bible, there are loads of examples that validate difficult feelings like sadness. Um, if that wasn't the case, there wouldn't be a book called Lamentations. And we would be, um, we'd be without about half the Psalms. It's interesting uh, when, uh, when one looks at the emotions of Jesus. The Bible only records Jesus expressing joy once when the 70 returned from the missionary journey. In five places, Jesus shows compassion, and that word in Greek is about a deep sensation in the guts. Jesus also felt anger in the Greek. It's a teeming, a rising up. He also felt grief and sorrow. So Jesus wasn't a don't worry, be happy kind of guy. Neither was he a Mr. Spock, let's stay rational and not get caught up in emotions kind of guy. Jesus was a deep feeler who knew both joy and sadness. And when we encourage people to uh, feel more cheerful and just move on to joy, we're denying that there's a whole bandwidth of emotions that are perfectly valid and found in the Bible. 
Um, I spoke a little bit about this at the seminar this afternoon. Finally, uh, we have the statement, uh, God won't test you beyond what you are able, or God won't test you beyond what you can bear. Now, that phrase is said in many Christian settings, but it simply isn't in the Bible. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says that God won't tempt you beyond what you can bear, and that is quite different. In areas of depression and other mental health issues, there can be a feeling of self-judgment because God won't test me beyond what I can bear, but here I am broken by my circumstances. So it must be me who has morally failed under God. It's my belief that trauma traumatizes, that overwhelming stress leads to burnout and breakdown. And the perfect storm of tragedy mixed with unhelpful coping strategies can lead just about anyone into depression. None of those are moral failures. Uh, it's just life becoming too much and the body responding. Circumstances can hit us in ways that we don't see coming, and we don't need to feel like spiritual failures because of it. So, five things not to say to someone who's depressed. Let me just finish with a final thought, which is this. The way of Jesus, it seems to me, is always to draw near. And that can be our approach to supporting people with depression. Of course, we need good boundaries and to exercise wisdom. But it is always in the drawing near where God can best minister to the other in our care and where God can teach us about what it means to really love those around us. What do we say to help someone who is depressed? Well, what we actually say doesn't really matter so much. It's not so important. The most helpful intervention for us as a Christian community is to be present to someone who is suffering and to offer that person the kind of compassion and attentive love that we ourselves have experienced from God. Let me pray as we close. Um, Father God, I'm, um, I'm aware that depression is, is such, such a, a powerful issue. We will all have our personal stories and our personal experiences, either looking at friends or family struggling or, or inside our own minds and hearts. Father, I pray that we would have a sense of your presence. I pray that you would give wisdom to your church as we try our best to support people who are struggling in this way. Uh, preserve us and help us from saying things that might be unhelpful, that might make things worse, that might increase the feelings of judgment or self-criticism. And um, give us the grace to be attentive and caring and to help th people through uh, their dark days and to receive them on their good days. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Ron, that was wonderful. Thank you very, very much indeed. Why don't we just have like a minute or two just to turn